this term sober curious, I find fascinating because that's that's to me fairly new and I think it's fairly new to the language. And that's the power of language that people can be like, you know what? I'm not an alcoholic, but I'm also kind of maybe thinking I want to try just not drinking. Yeah, that kind of language just creates sort of space. Welcome to the show that drops in on people's moments of clarity surrounding their choice to not drink. I'm Kate Madry, and I'm so happy you're here. Sobriety is like a thumbprint, and just like your skincare routine or your self-care routine, everyone's sober care routine is very different. By the end of each conversation, you'll leave with a little bit more insight to help guide you while building your sober care routine. This is a clear-headed podcast. This conversation was the first of hopefully many of this format, and that was a live podcast recording. I sat down with Antoine Wilson, an author whose latest novel, Mouth to Mouth, features a lead character who is sober. It's really interesting how the truths about our own selves, like the fact that Antoine does not drink, can play a role in the characters we create as artists and creatives. We discuss a lot and even throw it to the audience for some questions at the end. But the biggest takeaway is that words matter. How we describe ourselves and others are tools in our sober toolkit. And how speaking kindly to yourself can be a big component to your sober care routine. Hey, thank you guys so much. Um, we are sitting in the pop-up to paint the stage. Paint the stage, set the stage, paint Let's the Let's paint the stage. You're better Blue. with way, way better with words than I am. Yep. Thank goodness it's you're here. Right. We've already established the phonetic alphabet is a real thing. Mm-hmm. We've gone through it. Whiskey, Zulu. Yep. Quebec. That's the weirdest one. Yeah. There's no key. other, like when, what's wrong with quince paste? Yeah. You know. Nothing. Yeah. So Literally Qu- nothing. Quebec is a strange one. I don't know why they chose it. Um, I don't know. It must have been. It was the best province, but other than that. Yeah. I could agree with that. Yeah. Never been, but I can agree. It's my home. And Is na- it? My native land, yeah. Wow. Yeah, from Montreal. How originally. long did you live there? Until I was seven. Okay. So seven years. Nice. Yeah. It's a good time period. Not quite a decade. Yeah. You're deeper than just five years. Well, I was a little French-Canadian boy, and then when I was right about almost seven, we moved to Madeira in Central California near Fresno. Okay. And basically, it was like landing on Mars. Yeah, I was going to say Fresno seems a bit different than yeah. Quebec. Yeah, so um, that's a good way to create a writer, is by plunging somebody into a completely foreign environment and then watching them squirm as they're teased about their accent. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I want to get into that, and I also want to talk about your career and how your personal life, your emotional life has informed your writing. Mm-hmm. But I think the best place to start is where we start every conversation, which mm-hmm. is if you can go back time travel a little bit with us mentally and think about the moments leading up to the clarity that you got with your choice to become a non-drinker, stop yeah. drinking. What was that like? Well, it's interesting. The, what happened, it's book-related, actually. Um, my second novel, Panorama City, I had um, a, an option for it with the publisher of my first novel. 
the interloper. And then I had an, a an agent at the time. So, but basically what happened was I sent the book to my agent and I thought it was something special. I don't, I'm never super confident about what I'm sending in, but I thought it was kind of, and my agent was like, I don't understand what you're trying to do. Which is a fairly devastating call to get on your birthday. Um, <laughs> anyway, it's fine. And so, and then um, my publisher, um, she had her own ideas about it. Her sort of associate publisher was really into it. And so I'm like, okay, there's something here, but I kind of had to clear the decks completely. And, um, and so I sort of walked away from my publisher and I walked away from my agent and went, and she was actually lovely and helpful in trying to help me find another agent. But I was sort of hat in hand again after, um, you know, having published one novel and then just trying to go with the other one. So it's, uh, anybody who's ever written and submitted work or tried to find an agent knows that that, that word submission has many meanings. Um, mm. It's like, you know, the, the sort of Islamic submission to, to these greater forces. Um, it's, and it's, so I, I was drinking a little bit extra, mm. just not a ton, but like maybe three mm -hmm. gin and tonics in the evening kind of thing for a while. And I, I think, you know, alcohol is a great um, stress reliever and really bad for long-term emotional management, right? Mm -hmm. So when it sort of crossed over there, I was, uh, we were leading up to New Year's and I thought it was on New Year's Eve. We we're meeting up with friends and going to a restaurant and to a bar and all this stuff. And I said, you know what? Tonight, I think I'm not going to drink. So that's my moment of clarity. I mean, it's just like, hmm, maybe... Maybe this isn't the best thing. So um, in context, you know, my father was sort of a functional alcoholic, one of those, you know, high functioning um, orthopedic surgeon, narcissist, alcoholic types. Whoa, an orthopedic surgeon? Yeah, they were out there. Wow. The ones who drink too much. Wow. Yeah, right. I had no idea. Well, the, again, this well, is, I mean, it's long-term emotional management. He had, right. he had some hard things in his life that he never talked about, you know, mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. And then, to, you know, both of my brothers went into the, into the program, into Alcoholics Anonymous. One of them went to rehab. Um, and, you know, it's sort of when you're, as you're growing up, these things just, in your family, you don't necessarily know that things are strange or different. It's mm -hmm. like everybody's got a sibling who goes has gone to rehab, right? Yeah. Um, maybe not. So I thought, okay, this is maybe maybe I should just back off because there's so much of this in my family that um, it might be a good idea for me to try not drinking. And I had such a good time that night, that New Year's Eve. Um, and in part, it was a realization that. I don't really suffer from social anxiety, so I don't need that social lubricant aspect of it to go like make an ass of myself or say the inappropriate thing. I can still do it. Um, and then I liked being clear-headed. So yeah, it's actually- Thank you for that plug. It's not even, that is, that is the exact term that I used. Um, is it? Yeah, oh yeah. I enjoyed being clear-headed at parties and being able to sort of still be sharp into the night. And it reminded me of being, you know, younger, uh, pre-drinking kind of thing where, uh, and I don't know. Um, so I sort of enjoyed that and I was like, okay, let's just, maybe I'll stick it out. I've got this book thing I have to deal with. Let, and then I was uh, going to turn 40 that next year. And I thought, okay, when I turn 40, I can raise a glass. You know, I've taken my, my dry January, but it's dry January through August. And then I turned 40 and I was like, 
oh, I'm having a great night. I, I don't need a drink. And the book came out. And I was like, oh, that's when I'm going to pop some champagne or something. And I was like, no, oh, no, I'm just having a great night. So it sort of stuck. And at that point, I was like, well, let's just keep going with this. My wife was really happy because I could drive everywhere in LA. <laughs> it's, it's really helpful. But also, yeah, there's the, the health, I guess there's some health benefits to it. Maybe? Yeah, totally. Well, except that you then switch to like, I never cared about dessert before. And like uh, suddenly I find myself like wanting dessert. It's like my body is like, you're not getting enough sugar. Yeah. Um, well, actually, did you know that the reason, partially the reason is the sugar withdrawal that you have from like your nightly glass of wine or whatever. Mm -hmm. But a big part of it, an even bigger part is the dopamine. So when you have sugar. Oh yeah, I love dopamine. It mimics the same. Me too. Can't get enough of it. Sometimes literally. Um, I'll tell you a, a dopamine story. Okay. If we want to cross over into clear-headedness. I would love a dopamine Of a different story. nature. So cocaine. Oh, gotcha. Do you guys, yeah. do, you guys do cocaine here instead of... Oh, no. yeah, oh yeah, so the, the other thing I, I decided at the time when I was like, I'm going to quit drinking, but I still, like, I still need to hang on to being altered in some way or have the access to that. So I was like, I'm going to get a pot card. Okay. Because it was medicinal back then. And I went, I got a pot card, and I went to the pot shop, and I bought myself like some weed and some edibles and stuff, and then it just stayed in my like file cabinet for three years. You like never I didn't touch it. You didn't? Well, I was, I, kids, you know, like, like, I'm like, get the kid to bed and all this stuff. And then it's like 930 at night. It's like, what am I, am I going to get high for an hour? Yeah. Or like, I'm going to take it. I'm going to get high right when I was like, like when I fall asleep, it's finally going to hit me. Yeah. And also pot is not alcohol and, yeah. and the feelings are very, very different. It's super, for some people they can be social with it. But for me, it's a very antisocial experience. Anyway, cocaine though. Yes. So I, I have tried it um, barely. And I had a friend who had some, and we're sitting around. I was like, okay, let's do this cocaine. This is in our 20s. And it was just a little bit of cocaine. And then we had nothing to do, so we played Scrabble, um, which is something we like to do together. What a and, scene. What yeah, a scene. So wild. Just hopped up and, like, I got a word. It's basically less than zero, but, you know, not. And <laughs> in the valley, right? <laughs> in um, Studio City. So, so uh, we do the, a few lines and we're playing Scrabble and I look at my letters and I know intellectually, I'm looking at these letters, I can make nothing out of these letters. They're garbage letters, right? But I feel that I can do anything with them. <laughs> and I was like, there it is. The sort of fake version of confidence. Mm. It's confidence based on nothing. And so like intellectually, I can see that there's nothing. It's very clear. Mm -hmm. to me how um <laughs> somebody could how, how, chase that yeah yeah right and how it. that substance specifically can tar like targets those like one thing but not the other like yeah. i'm not altered enough to be unable to figure out that my letters are crap right but i still have just that feeling i can do it I can do somehow you, get the bingo was confidence something that you had trouble reaching for as a creative person yeah um, sorry, I'm old enough that the word creative. You need a person. I need person after it. Okay, Just you got a it. A creative. I don't know. Take it from the top. Yeah, yeah. Is confidence uh, something that you've had trouble reaching for as a creative person? Sure. Of course, I think. I mean, I, of course, for me. Right. I mean, humans, creative people specifically, yeah. tend to skew towards the less confident uh of us out there. Yeah. I think creativity to go back to submission, having multiple meanings, 
yeah. is one of those avenues where that really applies. Uh, and having success in the creative field means you have to come up against that hurdle of believing in yourself or your product or your idea even even when you don't. Right. And there's sort of public public indifference is like the baseline mm-hmm. to, to putting anything out there. Um, I, that's one of the things I like about living in Los Angeles, actually, is the public indifference to um, uh, novel writing. So I, I feel like I'm not in a community where everybody's trying to write a novel. I know a lot of other LA writers, but nobody really cares what you're doing until you know you put it out there and then people can get excited about it and enjoy it and stuff but there's it just feels like there's a lot of creative freedom here because of that um general generalized indifference i agree when you uh stopped drinking were you in los angeles where were you yeah yeah okay and had did you have that same viewpoint prior to setting down your your reach, your hooch, your whatever you call it. Yeah, my moonshine. Your moonshine. Um, yeah, I think I probably had a similar, um, similar perspective. I think, to me, in terms of the relationship between like alcohol and creative stuff, um, I think there there are some like classic uh, alcoholic writers like John Cheever, right? These you get these people who get drunk into the afternoon and then a hangover or morning. Um, hangover can often come with that sort of very peppy thing. Mm. Um, you wake up at four o'clock in the morning going mm. because that's the, you know, your body processing the alcohol. And I think there's some writers who use that as a, almost like a caffeine boost in the morning, you know, and they maybe uh, chase the hair of the dog or something, yeah. some, if that's the expression. Yep. Yeah. And, it works. Right. Um, what, so what happened to me without, with alcohol was I would use it sort of to mark the end of the day mm-hmm. more than anything like it's okay to stop working because my default mode is always to be working 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 so um it, it sort of marked like okay you're not going to go back and start messing with your your manuscript like in bed or or whatever um and then the other thing i noticed in terms of the its effects that would be that the next day maybe i was hungover, maybe i wasn't but it, but the day after i would be depressed mm. And that's a dopamine, maybe, drain. Um, and so I don't know if everybody gets that. I'd get the boost and then the drain that sort of day and a half after. But I, it did occur to me that if I tried to treat that with alcohol, mm. that would be the vicious cycle. Right. You know, and I think I'm just missing that one puzzle piece, perhaps genetically or, or behaviorally, where I never try to treat depression with alcohol. Yeah. That would kept me from the... Uh, the vicious cycle. The hamster wheel. Yeah, everybody's hamster wheel beef. is very different. Um, and yeah, I mean, I don't know. And I don't know for myself either if it's... I think we're figuring it out as a society. Like, what is it that actually makes people get on that hamster wheel easier than others? And mm-hmm. I think it's so many layers of mental health, um, being having a genetic, having just you know, nurture versus nature, that yeah. debate of like, I do believe your surroundings really do impact how you oh, navigate yeah. dependencies, misuse, abuse, et cetera, et cetera, for anything. Um, yeah, I mean, there's, if you look at uh, intoxication in the animal world, um, you know, there are elephants that will uh, eat 
fermented fruit in order to get intoxicated, and they, but they only really do it when they're feeling environmental stress. Wow. Yeah, I know. It's a, a book called Intoxication by, maybe it's by someone called Ronald Siegel. I don't know, I've read this in college, but I was fascinated by this idea that, that you know, uh, when they had these, these pressures on them, they would go and, and get intoxicated. And you think about, you know, people living in New York City, right? Yeah. Who, who just, for some reason, it booze it up more. Totally. Or London. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. I mean, factual, yes. Yeah. All of those high pressure cities have a much harder time with alternatives or moderation or just sobriety being a dry city in general. But when you say books, I know you just said that you picked that book up in college. Mm -hmm. Were there any books that you like leaned on, even though your choice to not drink might not be as hard as other people's stories or Mm -hmm. that that pull wasn't as heavy? Did you have something like novels, research, podcasts, anything that you did lean into to kind of cope with the stress? Or another way to phrase that would be, what did you replace in the evening to give you that same transition? Right, right. Yeah, not so much books and things. Um, And it wasn't a mega difficult transition for me. In, in, you know, because I wasn't addicted to it, um, but also because I, it was like there was so much upside. Mm. Um, you know, during the middle of the pandemic when we were all stuck at home and time was a flat circle, I definitely was like, I could really use a drink right now. Not because I'm stressed out exactly, but like, hmm. So that, you know, and then I was like, well, I might as well stick with this though, because um, I don't think that worked for me. Um, but in terms of other things to replace it with, the end of the day thing I'm still trying to figure out um, when to stop working. Uh, surfing, though, is a time when I can't really work, and I don't try to work out book ideas when I'm in the water. Uh, so it, it also, I find being out there in the water, it's just a, it's because it's a whole different environment and your back is to the city, you're, you connect to nature time mm-hmm. instead of, the sort of other timelines that I think we, we can get, make, can make us anxious. Yeah, totally. I mean, yeah. in water, in open water, you yeah. kind of got to be present. Right. And you just feel like, oh, right. I'm a human being on the planet Earth with one life to live, you right. know, like, as opposed to like, oh, you know, my, I got to get this book done. I got to do it, you know, or whatever it is. When did you pick up surfing? Um, I moved to Southern California in um, sixth grade. Then um, we moved away in seventh grade to Saudi Arabia, of all places. And wow, then, what and a move. What is, your parents were like, hey, we're just going to mix it up. Yeah, I think We're going to start in Quebec, right. then we're going to go to Fresno, and then we're going to go to Saudi Arabia. I assume there's people, you know, people in the program who listen to this. I think they call it pulling a geographic. Is so, that? Yeah, so my dad was pulling some geographics uh, for various reasons. Can you explain uh, that to me? Because I just have no idea what that means. Oh, it just means going, like thinking that you're going to go become a new person in a new place. You know, like, oh, like, like, oh I know oh. how to change my life. I'm going to oh move to Hong Kong or whatever, you know, and then, then everything. And then you show up in Hong Kong and it's, you're still yourself, right? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So, and then you go to Fresno. <laughs> right. You go to Fresno. Well, we had, that's, we were immigrants, you know, that's how yeah. we, get, we got our green cards because there was a need for uh, an orthopedic surgeon there in gotcha. um, Madera County. But, um, now I forgot where, where, what were you talking about? Surfing when you surfing. picked it up. So um, middle school, I surfed badly. Um, and then 
uh, became a theater kid and just body surfed and stuff through college. And then right after college, I started sur uh, surfing again. So it's been something you've come back to. Yeah, it's been about 30, almost 30 years of surfing. I think that's a good like tool that I can take away from this is to have something always that you can come back to. Like surfing, being present, maybe that's hiking, maybe that's meditation, like whatever it is, you can always come back to something and pick it up that will take you away from the noise, which for you can be writing your yeah. book. Yeah, well, it's, it's that's getting away from the stressors, mm. right? And then I, I think it, it can be very hard to, um, especially if you've got a uh, busy life with mul multiple different demands, whatever those may be, it can be hard to carve that space out. Mm -hmm. It's um, some people are you know better at scheduling than others. I'm not great at it, but uh, the nice thing about surfing is that you can't bring your phone, yeah. right? Can't check anything. Can't get bothered by anybody. So if I'm there, I'm there. It's very uh, very helpful. That's good. That's yeah. good to know. Surfs up. Sometimes. <laughs> Surfs down sometimes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. With your experience and it being. Uh, maybe easier than some might imagine not drinking is how does that inform like where you pull from your characters their backstory and like how did how do you pull your personal tug of war with anything really I mean it, we don't even have to keep it to alcohol with anything how do you pull that into the characters that you write and do you yeah yeah I mean all of, all of the characters come from um, I guess there's many of the characters come from a version of myself, right? There's a sort of voice that comes from a version of myself, and some are more obvious than others. And then there are the other characters that are sort of um, more uh, perceived, you know, observed type creations. Um, but in, in um, Mouth to Mouth, the narrator, the unnamed narrator, is a, a novelist of middling success who, who did quit drinking. So he doesn't drink. He drinks some um, near beer in this airport lounge <laughs> while Jeff Cook, somebody he knew about 20 years ago at UCLA, is telling him this whole story of his rise um, uh, from the college days to the art dealer that he is today. It's, and his story starts with saving somebody on the beach. But the whole time, Jeff is just pounding drinks. So there's a little bit of a contrast there. But then, yeah. you know, at the, at the end of the story, Jeff just stands up and somehow he's one of those people that can pound drinks the whole time mm. and then just stand up and his suit is unrumpled, you know, and he's just like, okay, off to go, you know, like those people that can do that. And uh, our narrator is just schlumpy with the Jansport in middle <laughs> age. But um, do you know people like that? I mean, who did you pull that from? Because I, I would think that's who I thought I was. I always mm. thought I was the person who could stand up with my suit uncrumpled after a few drinks. Yeah. But in reality, that's not what anybody else saw. Yeah. And. Oh, this is interesting. I know. Are we getting into therapy? No, 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 no. <laughs> I was going to actually make a left turn here oh. into like when you're sober at a party or a dinner mm. party or something like that. Yeah. And um, oftentimes it doesn't occur to me. People are drinking around me. And it doesn't occur to me that they're getting drunk or that they're getting altered in any way, um, especially if they sort of are, are controlled in their speech, you know, and they're not being a little too wild. And then the, somebody will say something or do something or slur a word. And I'll be like, oh, shit, you're drunk. You're hammered. You might not remember this tomorrow. 
Yeah, or they divulge more than you thought they would. Right. Great conversations. <laughs> yeah, but it, but there is that thing where, um, especially I think, with with alcohol, it's sometimes you can just not perceive with some people that they are uh, slightly altered. Yeah. Yeah. Until you can. Until you can. Until you can. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's interesting. See, writing is all perspective. Yeah. That's what I think. It, Do you? That's my perspective on it. <laughs> I, well, yeah, yeah. I think uh, a lot of what I try to do it is um, based on the, the fact that we're trapped inside ourselves uh, and trying to understand the experiences of others who are also trapped inside themselves, you know? Yeah. Because um, we can only get so close. And we can use language, um, but it, language is, you know, not... Um, it's it's kind of a crummy filter sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I use a lot of life experience with writing. My my metaphor is it for it is um, like uh, if my life is a lemon, I'll just take a little zest, you know, off the lemon. I love right. that. And then eventually I've got all this pile of zest, and I try to squeeze it into the shape of a real lemon. Right. Wow. So then it's, it's not a, another lemon. Yeah. It's not a real life, but it's a lemon made of little bits of zest. That's or, incredible. Yeah. As well, it's Philip Roth um, wrote about it in um, the anatomy lesson. I think it's a line about Zuckerman and he's talking about um, writing and he says, if you, you know, you have to include some of the personal ingredient, like if you don't have the personal ingredient, it will not live, mm -hmm. but too much of the personal ingredient and you'll disappear right up your own asshole. Yeah. And and I wow. yeah, I've done that metaphorically. Been in your own ass. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah metaphorically. <laughs> yeah. I I've, I've done that where I've I've gone incorporated too much sort of personal stuff and it becomes this weird like chunk that can't be subjected to editing and and you how know How do like, you take how do you pull back? How do you get out of your ass? Um you yeah, you step away and work on something else. Nice. Yeah, and then hopefully you can come back to that first thing and be like, oh, I see how this can become a book that people would want to read versus mm -hmm. me mired in my trying to just sort out, you know, pull, pull these sort of slimy things from the unconscious. Yeah. That's another name for my ass. Mm. The, unconscious. <laughs> the unconscious. You got a great unconscious. Yes, that's right. That's right. <laughs> um, Moving forward in your creative career, uh, where do you want to go? And do you forecast pulling non-drinking stories, narratives, perspectives into your writing? Um, where do I want to go? This is something I should think about, probably. Me too. Yeah. I know, people keep asking me too, and I'm like, I don't know. I know, some people are really good with that, like five-year goal, 10-year yeah. goal thing. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm just, I think, yeah, I'm going to keep bumbling uh, my way, you know, just toward another book. Um, in terms of the drinking, non-drinking, yeah, I, I don't know. This conversation is influencing. Is <laughs> the, it? Well, just the, I, you know, it's the idea of being, of that sort of being at a party and not drinking. And since I've got this unnamed narrator in this book, I can bring him back as yeah. a sort of stand-in for the author in another book. And uh, maybe I'll send him to a party where everybody's drinking and he's not. It is a good perspective. I feel yeah. like there's a lot of perspectives uh, with regards to not drinking that people just don't have the words. 
to mm. relate to. Mm. Um, I mean, that's why I'm trying to create sober care, a sober care routine, which we talked about briefly before we started recording. Yeah. What even is that? And what does that right. look like? Right. But just the same way that people can say, oh, my skincare routine is this, or my self-care routine is this, which are yeah. super important. I think people deserve to have a sober care routine. And uh, we can probably both agree that we've already said already, like words matter and giving people the sentence to go to, to reach to, to explain is so important when people have a a tougher time stepping away from something that they used to lean heavily on. I agree. And I, I think what's especially interesting to me is that the resources for people who are like hardcore alcoholics, maybe short of rehab, but hitting bottom enough and having a friend who can be their sponsor and going mm-hmm. into the program. That, that stuff is, is there and has been there, but this sort of like this term sober curious, mm-hmm. I find fascinating because that's, that's to me fairly new and I think it's yes. fairly new to the language mm-hmm. and that's the power of language that people can be like, you know what, I'm not, I'm not an alcoholic, but I'm also kind of maybe thinking I want to try just not drinking because mm-hmm. when I was, you know, this is, I don't know, it's been more than 10 years since I had a drink, but people, you know, say, oh, do you want, I'm like, no, I don't, I don't drink. And then, then there's this sort of like question like, oh, are you an alcoholic? Yeah. You know, I guess you're not supposed to ask, but people do. Right. And I'm like, no, no, I just stopped because I was, eh. and, um, and it's sort of an interesting thing to have. I mean, I didn't feel put on the spot by it, but I imagine other people do. Uh, an interesting thing to have sort of sober curious and this concept that people mm-hmm. like, eh, I'm taking a break from drinking. Yeah. And it's not something that's just, oh, because you are right. a lush right. or whatever. Um, so, yeah, that kind of language does create sort of a space, as, yeah. along with sober, sober care routine. And, um, and I think... I don't think you mentioned it. I think we've mentioned it before the podcast, the idea of sort of a non-negotiables. Like mm. what are some things that um, you can do to make sure you're taking care of yourself yeah. in, in this context? All new to me. New uh, to you. As a, as a parent of two kids and, um, you know, somebody who's trying to write these books in between bits and pieces of life, I feel like everything's up for negotiation. Yeah. Uh, schedule-wise. So the idea of... of linking these concepts of a, a non-negotiable being not drinking and um uh you know sort of c- taking care of of myself is really an interesting linkage yeah well it's okay to not know also yeah i think this I'm just is, started on that yeah journey. well good we'll yeah. build it together very good good i'm all in i mean i'm i i could not agree anymore with you with the enticement of sober curious and the ability that that has given people to feel like they can dip their toe in before they hit a major rock bottom. Yeah. I mean, I think it's the whole um, evolution of having a society that doesn't feel like they have to tango with this toxic substance that mm-hmm. will, in fact, at some point, if you go hard and long enough, mm. put you at that rock bottom. Yeah. Whether that's emotional, whether that's physical, there's so many different rock bottoms. But I think you should write a story about it. Maybe. I mean, I, the, yeah. The other thing about sober curious is you people can arrive if 
at a place where they look back and go, okay, what exactly did alcohol or does alcohol do for me? Yeah. And, you know, either you want to keep using it to do that thing for you or like, for instance, um, sort of as a social lubricant, one mm -hmm. of the first things I realized when I stopped drinking was I don't really need a social lubricant at this point. Like I'm okay. I can still say the completely inappropriate thing at the party totally sober. without, Stone yes, cold. without the need for alcohol to like, yeah to offend somebody or, or make it <laughs> well that's because you're so good joke. with words <laughs> oh that's right yeah yeah i'm like yeah good with words like um like a sawed off shotgun maybe it's <laughs> good exactly. with bullets it's <laughs> <laughs> good with lead <laughs> we love that we yeah. love the laugh <laughs> no i love it was good see they're hitting their landing this yeah. is what we're, well okay as we wrap up i want to mm -hmm. just pivot back and, and kind of wrap this conversation up with what you mentioned as non-negotiables. And as you're yeah. navigating it and as you're reaching and building your sober care routine and other people who are listening might be curious to build theirs, what do you reach for? What do you find you lean on to keep your life as linear as it is and has been without alcohol in it? Well, I mean, I mentioned surfing. And I also work out once a week with a trainer. So nice. like that's sort of, those are sort of things that do not shift out of my schedule and just sort of keeps me um, at a very baseline, you know, from getting unhealthy, yeah. right? Um, writing, if I don't write for three to four days at all, then I start to get a little cranky and crazy, which and then I turned into being a writer, but mm -hmm. like that's a natural thing for me. I have to sort of offload subjectivity out um, and so as, as long as I have time to write, that's key. And then reading, uh, I love reading the kind of books that I love reading and that's become, it, it originally was, and then has returned to sort of my favorite altered state. Mm -hmm. Cause I do think altered states are, uh, worth pursuing yeah. some, you know, at times. And, um, if you, if you get a book that just, you know, uh, knocks your head off just the right way. It's, it's a wonderful thing. Okay, I have to ask, what's knocking your head off right now? What is knocking my head off right now? I'm in the middle of, so there's a Spanish writer named Javier Marias who just passed away uh, uh, last year, unfortunately, and I'm in the middle of a trilogy um, that he wrote called Your Face Tomorrow, um, and it's essentially like a super slow motion spy novel. Whoa. Yeah. Um, and so I've read a bunch of his things. I started with um, Tomorrow in the Battle, Think on Me, which is just a novel about a guy who's having an affair with a woman in, and she dies yeah. in, the, in her apartment and he's trying to figure out what to do. Yeah, and so he's got this like lurid premise, but it's a very sort of literary novel and it's just like, he's really incredible at like just stopping time and just going over things and th he's kind of cerebral in a, in a really pleasing way. Um, and then he also does this thing, which is really fun, where he'll just make these declarations about human nature. And it would like, that's the way we are. We do this in X, Y, Z. And it's just, it's this little, little tick he has that I enjoy. Anyway, so Javier Marias. Um, and then before that, but Patrick Modiano, who's a, a French uh, writer who won the Nobel Prize some years ago. All of his books are kind of the same book, um, post-war, usually around Paris. Nice. Um, wonderful books where 
names and identities become separated from people in that sort of post-war, like who are the collaborators, like all these kinds of things, and, and locations and place names become very important. Mm. And, um, and But he's this kind of writer where everything's very sort of concrete as you read it, but the books are infused with this incredible feeling and nostalgia. Mm. And then you go back and you're like, where is this coming from? Like, where is it? It's in between the lines somewhere. Uh, so he's a magician. It's, wow. ah, it's really good stuff. Uh, so those are two writers that... Great yeah. recommendation. Sure. Well, thanks for your time. Thank thanks you for, for having coming me. coming in and cracking a Gia and a, or a Gia. A Gia and, and <laughs> well, I should know how to say that. A and a Hio. Wow. And I got a Parch. Look at all of our options here. It's, there's a whole world to explore here. Yeah, a lot of this stuff is new to me, which is really exciting. Thank Yay. you for, sh for sharing um, some of these new drinks and these new terms. You're uh, welcome. This new language. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I feel like we're I'm going to put it to use. We're getting clear-headed. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. We're doing our sober care routine. All of it. All of it. Not, and it's non-negotiable. Well, non part of it. Non-negotiable. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> sure. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so I'm going to try this on. Uh, at what point did it go from so sober curious to I am someone who's sober? In other words, when did you start identifying as a sober person as opposed or do you even matter? Yeah, to identify as a sober person. I th it's interesting. I don't, I don't think I use the word sober. Hmm. Uh, I just say I don't drink. Yeah. And I think the distinction for me is that, that I associate sober with people who are alcoholics who are in the program because my, both of my brothers were in it, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, um, and I, uh, yeah, so I just have always just thought of myself as I don't drink anymore. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good, like, point. Great question, Lauren. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. You said this is your third book. Yes. No, I wrote the first two just blasted. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was still drinking when I wrote the first two. So how was this experience different than those, or how do you think the end result is different from those? Oh, yeah, I don't know if the, hmm, it's a good question. I don't know if I would relate it to drinking and not drinking, other than writing those first two, I did know when I was finished working at the end of the day, because <laughs> yeah. I would have a cocktail. Um, yeah, this is a, a nice short book, about 180 pages with short chapters, and it's um, people uh, like gulp it down. And I think that belies the process that brought it into the world. It, this was just a very, very difficult book to write and took a very long time to write. So I, I don't know, you know, to me, the greater influence on this book is just how hard it was to figure out what it was. Mm. Um, and if, there's, if I have any strength as a writer, really, it's like cleaning up my mess after I'm done. So anybody who picks it up and reads it would assume this just you know, tripped off my tongue or off the pen um, with great authority and imagination. But uh, yeah, it was, a, 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 it was a hard one. So yeah, I could have used some alcohol. Oh, thank you. Turns out that's the case. Yeah. 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 And yeah. you know, people don't want their time wasted these days. So right. Right. It's it's great that you put all that work into making it. Totally. Did your father's uh, alcoholism uh, kind of push you in the direction of like taking 
Yeah, I think, well, so family dynamic-wise, uh, <laughs> I think I was the sort of, I was the eldest of three boys, and so I was, um, uh, I don't know, I, I did well in school and that kind of thing, so, and I was clueless enough about my, the dysfunction in my family that I was kind of not aware of a lot of it. Mm -hmm. So I wasn't, um, I didn't have like a lot of emotional angst, Whereas my immediate younger brother was very angry. He was just an angry person. He's now a child and adolescent psychiatrist. And he's still that person deep inside. And uh, <laughs> he's just learned how to work with him. Um, and then my youngest brother is a little more, I don't know, he was also angry and alienated. But they, they were going through more shit, I would yeah. say. So for me, you know, when I first really started drinking, like getting drunk was freshman year of college. And it was just like, wow, this feels great. The dopamine thing, yeah. you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get drink four Cuba Libres because why not? And hug this tree, or <laughs> you know, or just punch my roommate, or you know, whatever, blackout. So yeah, there was some, you know, uh, binge drink, recreational binge drinking, not not trying to address anything deeper, um, which is maybe the reason that I ended up stopping drinking was when I was actually trying to use it to deal with like an ongoing stress problem uh, in my career. Right. Yeah. yeah. A career that, you know, obviously becomes very personal about yeah, whether anybody wants to read your stuff. Totally. Yeah. Cool. Oh. Yeah. Hello, hello. Um, you mentioned there's certain authors who use alcohol Yeah. That's a good question. I mean, to, I think a lot for a lot of writers. I mean, writing drunk is a disaster for most writers. There are a few who do it, and um, what you know, who have done it historically well enough that it, it uh, worked for them. But for most writers, who you know, when you think about the ones that really drank too much, I feel like a lot of them probably did most of their drinking while their work was on submission. Do you know mm -hmm. what I mean? When you're yeah. just sitting there and you're, you, all you can do is wait or mm -hmm. you're waiting for the book to come out or you know, reviews and that kind of stuff. So it's like a lifestyle thing, just trying to take the edge off, trying to stop yourself from having that agitated feeling of I need to be working, I need to be working. Um, so. I, I, for me, at least, it would be alternating with writing rather than incorporated with the actual writing time. Yeah. Cool. Maybe. Great insight. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Great insight. Yeah. Yeah. Yay. It's been. Yeah, I've had moments where I was a book was on submission, and I'm like, oh, right, that's why Faulkner went on benders, yeah. right? You know, you think of these writers who are like these, you know, incredible. Um, canonical figures, but they were going through the same shit, trying to get their their stuff published. Totally. Especially, you know, somebody like Faulkner, whose stuff was not necessarily well recognized in his time. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. I have a question. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I always wrote, and I always wrote stories and things like that, and um, it, I, it sort of turned into a theater thing in high school, so I, I wrote a, uh, some plays and um, went to UCLA as a theater major, and then I took this sort of detour where I was pre-med. I mean, it was English, but I was pre-med, because I thought, okay, I, I like science, I like hospitals <laughs> you know maybe I maybe I'll go be a doctor because it's my my father had a first family he, there was all kinds of other kids but none of them were doctors and so there was a great hope that some one of his children would become a doctor so I tried to please my parents kind of and I went down this whole thing um, and I did all the pre-med stuff and took the MCAT and everything and then I was like I don't actually want this you know I don't want to take the space away from somebody else who I was at UCLA where you're very aware of the competitive nature of trying to get into a medical school. And you, like, somebody really wants to be a doctor, they should have the space, because I want to be a novelist. <laughs> and so concretely, when I decided that, that I would actually pursue that as my main thing, and everything else would be you know, secondary, like day jobs and everything, um, was right toward the, in my fourth year out of five uh, at, of college, um, I read three books, uh, one of which was um, The New York Trilogy by Paul Auster, um, Another Country by James Baldwin, and V by Thomas Pynchon. And those three books were the things that made me feel like I need to be writing novels. And I remembered it from my theater days because I was a terrible actor, but I was, but I thought maybe I wasn't, but I, you know, it took me a little while to realize, as one does. And, but then I realized like, I would hang out with real actors, and they would watch somebody do something, and their immediate response is, I can do it. I can do it better. I can do better than that guy. What the hell is he doing up there? You know, it was never my response as an actor, right? I was just like, okay, they're doing their thing. I'm going to do my thing. But I felt that's the sort of thing I felt reading those books. Not that I could do better than those guys, mm. but like, oh, no, no, this is my milieu. This is what I should be doing. And it took a weird winding road to get there because I didn't take any um, creative writing classes until sort of extension and stuff. But I ended up going to uh, University of Iowa for an MFA in writing. And the, like, before classes started, in the two weeks before, I met a, a number of other people and I called my mom and I was like, uh, I was like in tears almost on the phone. I was like, I found my people. I found my tribe, and I was like, never in my life had I felt like, like this is the right. These are this is the right thing, and it was super confirmed by the fact that the other people who were doing it, I just completely clicked with, oh. in, in like the most, you know, just the most sort of human basic, like this. We all like the same things. We're introducing each other to these yeah. things. Very non pretentious, you know. I feel like. MFAs and workshops and things get depicted in, in TV shows is very pretentious. Mm. Maybe it sounds a little pretentious from the outside, but um, a lot of it is just, you know, sitting at the bar, uh -huh. you know, after workshop or something like that and just shooting the shit about, you know, books. I wonder if having that kind of community and like that purpose and that like connection mm -hmm. helped pave your relationship with alcohol and it not being such a like social lubricant like 
having the confidence because I think a lot of people in their early 20s to mid 20 late 20 any actually any time in life mm -hmm. who if you haven't found that soul clicking group or your place it's yeah. a very lost world and you get really out of sorts yeah the 20s are horrible for many people yeah it's right. really intense um, as you try to find you try to link up who you are with all these different things in the world mm -hmm. and maybe this will fit me maybe this will fit me um, if you're not lucky enough to sort of click into something but yeah I would say um, never been a shy person but definitely knowing sort of like this is what I do this is what I want to do as my primary thing as an identity almost is yeah, yeah it's definitely helpful to not having anxiety in a right. in a public setting or party where you don't know anybody because mm -hmm. you say yeah I'm a writer yeah you just know yeah yeah and it doesn't hurt to publish a book also that's yeah. one of those weird things like people always say sure. to writers like don't rush it don't hurry um, but then they, I think they don't take into account what a relief it is to have that, that thing that says, okay, I am the person I thought I was because right. now there's a book in the world with my name on it. So would you say rush it? Would no. you say hurry? <laughs> no, I, I would say, I would say, you know, don't, yeah, don't rush it. Don't rush it. Oh, but I understand. I you said, oh, got it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but not, I, I thought you meant like, get it over to. with, do it. No, 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 no. <laughs> because then, yeah, I don't know. Maybe you get it. Yeah. You know what? Fuck it. Rush it. Get it over with. Get you're published. Gonna, you're get gonna, validated. You're going to feel ambivalent about the first book anyway, no so. matter if it's 10 years or today. Yeah. Okay, cool. Rush it. Fuck it. Yeah, fuck it. <laughs> Go it. Nano, Remo, and then just self-publish. Love it. Yeah. No. Okay. Maybe not. Maybe not. <laughs> not my real advice. Don't rush it. Okay, don't rush it. Don't. Don't. Okay, great. Feel free to call yourself a writer even if you haven't been published. Okay. I'll say that. Yay. Yeah. And you don't have to go, but I haven't been published. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Cool. Yay. Yay! For more guidance on building your sober hair routine, head to clearheaded.co or follow us on Instagram at clearheaded.co. <laughs>